0: Hey, all you Rad Dads out there.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Rad Dad Brett here, welcoming you to what I think is our first ever bonus episode with Marco DeSantis of Sugar Cult, Bad Astronaut, Playing Favorites, and the list goes on. Regular listeners of the show will know we typically tend to stick to the dad stuff in our interviews. Well, Marco and I just got chatting as soon as we connected on Zoom, and we ended up covering so much stuff that was not necessarily parenting related. But was super interesting, so I thought it would be cool to share it with you guys in the form of a bonus episode. So if you haven't heard part one, make sure to go back and check that out, because that's where we'll cover all the parenting stuff. Marco's a dad of two and had lots of great wisdom and experiences that he shared. But here, we'll start off chatting about the Santa Barbara punk scene where Marco learned the ropes of being in a band. And we get into some history of bands like Lagwagon and No Effects the convergence of speed metal and punk and then we get into the formation of Bad Astronaut and some stories from that era of his career. Then we end on Sugar Cult and we get talking about the development of their sound and image. This one's super lighthearted and fun and we just couldn't help but share it with you guys. Where we pick up is Marco commenting on my Bad Astronaut shirt that I was wearing so just for a frame of reference. So sit back and enjoy part two of Marco DeSantis on the Rad Dad Show.
0: I like your shirt, dude. I like your oh hat. yeah,
1: thanks. Yeah, I picked that up. Um, what is it? Who does all the merch for Lagwagon? did the Bad Astronauts have Temple? Yeah, um, yeah. Put it out last year. So I was like, oh man, I didn't have it before. Now's the time, so.
0: I know, I was so stoked when, when I saw that happen. I was like, oh yeah, we're doing another run of Bad Astronaut. I think it was maybe tied to Joey because he was doing a lot of these, well, he's still doing them, but Joey's been doing a lot of these live stream things. Yep. Um, and, uh and I think he did like an all bad astronaut one, you know, and yeah,
1: I yeah, I missed it. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Didn't I jumped it. on for like, I jumped on a caught part of it. But yeah. you no,
1: know, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: But now that's a special band, man. That's something that like, honestly, it's like, well, I mean, let's connect it to what we're talking about. Yeah. It's Like, you might have just because you have a family, and because you have a, maybe a wife and kids, doesn't mean you have everything you need you still need like I don't know your parents if they're still around you still need your homies like your friends from yep. way back when yep. and especially once you start like launching into life whatever it is you've been trying to make work and then it starts to work um, your friends from like from like back home or like your real friends that have known you from forever become, they, they take on such a different role. It's like yeah. grounding. It's something that like keeps you down to earth, tells you, hey, you get to do this. You don't have to yeah. do this. Yeah. Tells you those things, those simple things that you, you don't even realize you need to hear that just make make it different. And, and I think that the same thing happens for um, musicians. It sounds so pretentious to say artists, but like when you have a band that starts to like work, it really does you know there is a lot of work involved in it right and because like you've got to like you know book shows and and you know do all the 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 you know put together all the pieces you know oh we got to do this we got to route this we got to coordinate this we got to do this we've got to make t-shirts we got to find a place to order the t-shirts now we got to get the designs to them and we got to do all the things we got to have them shipped somewhere it starts to feel a little bit like work Mm -hmm. (laughs) whereas if you think about music, what do you do with music? You play music, right? Yeah. Yeah. So music comes from like a playful place. It's something you do for, I mean, most of us did this shit for fun forever and still enjoy doing it and probably, and do it whether we're getting paid or not. It's not like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta fucking work. I, I'll see you later. I gotta go play a fucking rock show. Uh yeah. <laughs> so like, like, dude, this is the fucking amazing. Like I would pay to do this if I, you know? Um, yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> I guess so. Fuck yeah! Fans
1: starting oh, out, yeah, you, yeah. I'm sure you remember those days.
0: Yeah, although we always, generally, me and my friends avoided that, um, mostly because we couldn't afford to do that shit, but also because we just kind of thought like, well, what well, kind of you know this doesn't sound like a very fun party to go to if you have to like force it that hard, you know? I'd rather like we we mostly came up playing shows, um, cause we were all like kids when we started out. So we weren't even old enough to get into the bars in, in our hometown. We grew up in Santa Barbara. And so we would just like, it was very seat of the pants. It was like, you, you start a band with your friends, you make up some songs. And then the natural progression was kind of like, well now, now what? Well, I guess we should either try to find a way to record or and or play these shows, you know, play some shows for people. And so what you did was you just were like, well, we could bust our ass and maybe pay money to try to play some bar, but we're gonna none of our friends are gonna be able to get in. Plus, like, we feel like it just doesn't feel like where we're supposed to be. You know, it feels right. like we'd be like this, this like annoyance that people would have to deal with. <laughs> you know, for half an hour until they could like have like dance night or whatever they were there yeah. for, and like. Whereas there was this amazing, like weird sort of kid run scene in our, in our hometown where people could just like play driveways, I guess like uh, the California, That's we grew up cool, in yeah. California. So it's like the California equivalent of like an East coast basement show yeah. where it's you know, probably too cold on the East coast or humid and muggy in the summer to play outside. So you play in your drive in your basement. Well in California we would play the, 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 the move was to play driveway shows. So there's this place called Isla Vista, which was like, it's like this little like college sort of enclave within Santa Barbara. It's like a square mile adjacent to the to the university there, mm-hmm. and basically here was the deal. Like you figure this out really quickly when you're 15, you're like okay. So here's the deal. You you skateboard down the street until you find some student like outside of their apartment, like washing their car or doing whatever the fuck they're doing, and then you ask them like, hey dude, if we pay you, if we give you money to buy a keg, can um can our band play at your house this weekend? <laughs> like a total stranger? Yeah. You know, like, can you literally like pull your cars out of the driveway and let us like use that as like a makeshift stage? Yeah. And then your driveway, like the lead up to you know, the carport, yeah, would be yeah. the, yep. and the driveway would be the audience. And they'd usually just be like, Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know, dude, let me ask my roommate. And then they'd be like, you know hey john is it cool if we have like some show like they're gonna pay for the beer and that's like all you had to say was someone else is gonna pay for the beer yeah sold and, oh yeah <laughs> yes just do it and then like how somehow that was a binding agreement and we had the like you know we're like okay shit. so what's the address and we'd like write it down and then cruise over to the copy shop and make some cut and paste yep. flyer and then go to school and just hand it out to anyone who looked weird like skaters and metal kids and punk kids and you know, goths and just weird anyone who was a weirdo, basically, it was like, hey, and the answer was like, it wasn't like, yeah, I want to come see your band play. It was basically like, yeah, I want to do anything but stay home. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm a kid. And I do something. something. Yeah. Do. So that was as simple as that. It was just simple, like, and then you would have uh, maybe you'd ask another band to play with you. Yeah. So It was very organic, we just kind of figured it out. And then we would have a show. And then people would come and they'd be like, hey, are you going to like, the, the venue was basically the address so it'd be like are you going to that show at sixty six forty four, whatever the street was called and the word would spread and then people would come to the show and usually it would get out of hand and sometimes the cops would show up yeah. but it didn't really matter because it wasn't really about the music or about the band it was just about like young people getting together and being Kind of wild in the streets, you know, it was like, oh, the band's over. Okay, whatever. So now what do you want to do? Let's go make out or let's go yeah. like <laughs> steal some beer from the these college students. And that was it. And we just did that over and over again until there was like this weird, like this weird community sort of formed around it where there was like the older kids bands were kind of the headliners, not because they were sold more records or had songs yeah. on the radio, but just because they like, could grow facial hair because <laughs> right. they were like because they had like a car, you know, yeah. and so it's just sort of this natural sort of hierarchy where you had these bands, and then we had like the young, like me and my friends were in the younger band, so we were the opening band, yeah. and then like a band from out of town would come in town because maybe they had like a connection to our town, like No Effects. This is I'm really yeah. dating myself here, but back in the oh, late it's 80s, great. I love it. The drummer Eric from No Effects who used to be the craziest guy in no effects, yeah. by the way, he's like the mellow sort of
1: yeah, totally guy now. now. He was the
0: fucking, cra- he was like the Sid Vicious of no effects back then. Like Fat Mike was like the mild-mannered calm guy. yeah. And, and cool. Eric, the drummer, was like the fucking dreadlocks, tattoos, just fucking heroin, just, you know, he was just crazy back then. Anyway, he was, I think he might have been dating some girl in Santa Barbara because for some reason you could not get rid of no effects. Like they were just like, they weren't from our hometown, but they were, they also had a huge crush on a band from our hometown, which is like in our, you know, when we were growing up, this band was like the fucking Rolling Stones to us. They were like the be all end all was the local band called RKL. Rich kids. Un-all yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah.
0: So I'm sure, yeah. A lot of people heard of them because eventually they were on epitaph and they, you know, they were kind of this notorious band that like went through the forest with a machete and cleared the path for everybody else. Right. And they were actually phenomenal musicians. Joey grew up with them because Joey's quite a bit older than all of us. And so he and RKL were all like kids in the same neighborhood. Actually, the funny thing is, Lagwagon basically is RKL now. Like, right. yeah, Chris Rest, the, the guitarist of Lagwagon, was in RKL. He, he, Dave Ron. And Dave Ron was like the, the eventual drummer of RKL. Yep. And then uh, Lil Joe, the, the bass yep. player, was also in RKL for a long period of time. So it's kind of funny. And then actually the tall guy in Lagwagon, Chris Flippin, was the, he was in, there was two bands in our town that were like the Beatles and the Stones to us yep. as like dumb little <laughs> punk kids. RKL, which yep. were like probably the biggest cause they had put something out, you know, on, on a label called Mystic Records. They actually right. had a record you could you could see in a store. So like yeah. t- that might as well be, yeah, they might crazy. as well be fucking, you know, they would just. <laughs> you know, it was untouched, it was the big, it was like, yeah, you know, Michael Jackson, Madonna, RKL, like, it was like, they were just superstars to us. Um, and then like the other band in town were, um, was called Threatened Hope. And they never, they never actually did anything. They never like put a, I don't think they ever put a record out or anything like that, but they were like, at least at the time, at the snapshot, when, when me and my friends were getting into the scene, when we were like 13, 14, the two kind of, bands in town that were that were young grown-ups they were probably 19 20 years old I don't know how old they were then but maybe they were 21 was RKL and and threatened hope so the guitarist of threatened hope Chris Flippin. yeah the guitarist of RKL Chris rest both of those guys guitar the guitar players of lagwagon so when you see lagwagon today a lot of people just go yeah lagwagon rad fat records it's so much more than that they're a representation of like the entire just forming the of our
1: scene, scene coming Santa Barbara,
0: right? they are really the manifestation oh. of that. And, and it's pretty cool that you, you, I think most people probably just go see Lagwagon because they have good songs, and, they, and they're they on fat records and all that shit. Yeah. They represent lots of things to lots of different people around the world because they've been around for like 100 fucking years now. But to our hometown, to, to me and my friends, Lagwagon represents the sort of like, you know, the sort of um, Victory of all of those street street parties. and yeah. hours and hours of just like cut and paste flyers and Walking around town trying to get people to care and so it really is kind of a, a, a Wonderful thing. So that said Lagwagon went on became professional the um, sugar cult was banned I started with some friends in the in the late 90s and then that became started started to become pretty you know like professional feeling and at that time me and Joey who are old friends and actually, Derek, who's no longer with us anymore, right. Derek Lord, who was the drummer of Lagwagon, and um, I had also played with in my first band ever, which was a band called Illiterate. That, like we were like the oh, crazy. You know, Threat and Hope were playing here. There was like another band and another band, and then Illiterate was like the first band that went on. We were like fourteen-year-old kids in a neighborhood, and we we formed that band. We just a shitty, typical shitty '80s punk band that tried to sound like DRI. Yeah. Um, and we, none of us could play or anything, but it was like, literally the, like I moved to, I moved to a new neighborhood and the drummer who lived down the street was this kid named Dave, who's talked about in a lag wagon song called Stoke and the Neighbors, by the way, for those watching.
1: Oh yeah. There's some trivia. And yeah.
0: People who aren't completely fucking ha- asleep by now, by the <laughs> way, also connecting Dave. There's a song on an early lag wagon record called bury the hatchet, Yeah. which is, um, about how Dave and Joey had this weird rivalry because Joey used to date this girl named Kelly, who was our age. And then when Joey broke up with Kelly, Dave started going out with Kelly. Uh And so Joey was kind of like a little bit vindictive and was like, oh, no, you don't motherfucker. (laughs) And so that has a lot to do with the origin of Lagwagon. It's like, it is a tale of two cities because Santa Barbara has like, The fancy part of town, which is Montecito, where RKL's from and where Joey's from, and the sort of like poor part of town, which is Isla Vista, where it's made for college students to live. But a lot of like families live there, too. That's the guys in Threatened Hope. So they were sort of the like, you know, and then you had us and we were the kids that lived sort of in between in the suburbs called Goleta, which was like right between Santa Barbara and and Ivy. And, you know, Montecito was like, you'd get a nosebleed if you went to Montecito. It was kind of far away. all of this shit is in like within 15 minutes. But when you're a kid, you're like, you don't have a car. So it's like, fuck, I can't even be friends with you. Cause you live like yeah. a 45 minute bus ride away from me. Like, or like, you know, I can't even skate to your house. Like it's, it's <laughs> off the table, you know, <laughs> anyway, I'm jumping around so much, but hopefully all of this shit will make a little bit of sense. And it's like, the point is it's a small town. And there was a handful of us, just a few kids and a few people like, You know, anyway, so we all had these bands, and me, I had that band, I said Illiterate, because I moved there, and I moved to that neighborhood, right, like a block away from Dave. Dave had a drum kit, so I just started playing guitar, and I was like, dude, let's jam, and we tried to play covers, and we were so inferior at our instruments that the covers just sounded like trash, so we had this kind of epiphany where we were like, dude, you know what we should do? We should make up our own songs, Cause that way, instead of having like revealing how shitty we are by playing these covers so badly, we can at least like own how we play our own songs and just be like, yeah, we're they're supposed to sound that. Like yeah, there's no to comparison,
1: like right? So <laughs> right,
0: and we all started out probably like to be honest, like you know, our roots go to like Iron Maiden and Motley Crue yep. and all that. Like we were into metal when we were little kids, and then we kind of fell into punk rock because we got into skateboarding, and and punk rock was kind of just. At that point in the eighties, like punk was just like the soundtrack to skating. And once we started listening to it, it's like, you could go see like a huge show. Like you could go see Ozzy Osbourne at the forum and you're going to see him like this big on stage, or you could like literally go to that area and watch a band play in a driveway and see like eight bands play Yeah, crazy. at some little place. And like, not only are you like in the pit, like at the show, like standing right next to, like holding the microphone so it doesn't chip the singer's tooth but you're like, literally like five minutes later, you're like helping them load their gear out and you're like, and they're like being nice to you. Right. And they're like you, yo dude. So I'm from, uh, you know, I'm from the Bay area. What's up with your scene. And you're like, wow, this guy's like in a band and he's like, I don't have to like wait in line to get his autograph at like some meet and greet. This guy's just like another dude. Who's like uh, just a shitty fucking kid, you know, who's like wearing, you know, beat up vans and has like bad skin. And it's, it's felt so like, immediate it didn't feel like the real thing it didn't feel like oh this this could never be on mt you never back then thought punk rock would ever amount to anything other than just a like sort of like regional sort of fun thing to do i mean you heard about the ramones you heard about the clash Mm -hmm. but you didn't really think of that as the same way like those bands to us were like it's like the kinks and the who and the beatles it it seemed like from another time a long time ago it seems really cool but it just was hard to like even like wrap your head around because they were like legends already by then. And so you're, when you see these local shows, it's, it seemed like something just like so like um, insignificant because it was just like, whatever, this is just like our shitty little scene and our little shitty little amp and our shitty little songs. It didn't seem like anything was ever going to amount to anything. So, so therefore, we didn't really take it that seriously. And I think that might be one of the secret ingredients. In I life. think you're right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think people maybe take themselves a little too seriously, or they, um, for lack of a better term, they try too hard.
1: Well, yeah, you. I, so I think um, I think a lot about this. Like, and you're probably the same way as me. You listen to music, you think kind of critically about it, and you think about like, why do I like this album from this band better than this album? And a lot of times, it's like, why do I really love their early stuff versus their later stuff, or whatever? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, to me. Um, and I, I play a little bit, but not a professional musician. So maybe I don't have that insight. Um, but I think it's that authenticity that's like, like, yeah, secret ingredient that you can't sort of quantify or something. And, and I, I think that's a big part of that sort of punk ethos and that whole scene, right? Is that authenticity, inclusivity, and you just kind of felt it in that music, right?
0: Well, yeah, I think so. And, and I think that, that honestly, when, when genres, in my opinion, when genres become boring, is when they become too codified, and sort of self aware, to the point where it's like, you know, forming punk band looking for people who like punk music must be this tall and wear these kinds of shorts and have this kind of haircut and have this kind of an opinion. And then you get something that is unfortunately, you you lose a you lose a generation or two of authenticity, because it becomes so sort of, I don't want to say pretentious, but it's, it seems like it's like, I think there's something to be said for, for allowing the freedom for like the sort of happy accidents that happen. Then what happens the, the previous, then the following generation comes along, sees that happy accident, assumes it must've been planned and organized. Yes. And then, so then they, they copy it. And then, so I think the that's a problem. A lot of, um, that happens in music a lot, including punk. Punk doesn't get a free pass with that. To me, punk is possibly one of the worst culprits of that fucking thing. Of the like, yep. hey, um, <clears throat> I heard a quote once. It was actually a quote from, of all people, because um, I know he's kind of, everyone thinks he's kind of crazy because he talks about UFOs all the time, but Tom <laughs> from Blink 182. Yeah. He once he once said in an interview that i randomly read he said it said use your influences don't be your influences like it was probably like what's your advice for young artists and i was like damn of all the people to fucking say that you know leave it to him um you know because i remember when Blink first came out everyone was like oh my god there's like the guy that sounds like fat mike and then that other guy you know and they were very maybe derivative but then i think they kind of fearlessly sort of steered it into their own thing and found their own their own way because they figured well there's already you know no effects already exists no no use frame already exists lag wagon already exists what can we do that's different and they found something that they could sort of own green day already exists there's already a poppy kind of punk band the descendants have already existed Fuck, what are we supposed to do just break up no and then they found their (laughs) own little thing and they kind of embraced their weirdness but then what happened um, they they created a monster because then like every fucking kid in every suburb of every corner of america started a band that Exactly was like okay we gotta wear those shirts we gotta have this kind of humor between songs we gotta jump like this we gotta wear we gotta play Mesa Boogies we gotta do that yeah. and it was just like fuck I mean for a lot of those bands it worked out there was a lot of like bands like New Found Glory and stuff that became huge um, that were you know derived from them right but like um, I think that use your influences don't be your influences what I hear what I take away from that is Look at your influences and go and get curious about their roots. Go, okay, how did they start? Oh, okay, it was weird. This guy had, you know, this guy had these influences, this guy was into this. They sort of compromised and fell and found a common yeah. ground and they ended up wound up with this sound. That's kind of cool. You learn from your influences. They let your influences like empower you to and inspire you to do something rad rather than. Looking at your influences as this like set of limitations (laughs) that you, sorry, (laughs) losing my voice for some reason. This like set of like rigid limitations. Like, well, I really like to do this, but I can't. Why? Well, because punk bands don't do that, and we want to be a punk. We identify ourselves as a punk band. It's like, no, that's how you get really like, um, just derivative, kind of boring, same old, same old stuff, and why,
1: you know, people feel that, right? Like, as a listener, you feel that, 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 that authenticity is not there. Yeah, you you. I I don't know if you feel it consciously, especially when
0: you're young, but I think that in time, you're gonna look back and you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, I mean, the same way when I was fucking young, it was like anything that colored outside the guidelines to borrow the jawbreaker phrase from (laughs) boxcar, it's like anything that colored outside the guidelines of my of my little worldview that I constructed in my fucking 13 years of existence was like such a threat to me because yeah. I just wanted to believe that, um, that okay, you could count on this being like this and this being like this and this is this and this means this and that people who like this kind of music aren't allowed to like this kind of music. But secretly, I was like, when well, my sister's fucking playing Madonna in the other room, I'm stoked. Those are great That's, songs. Yeah. I'm not going to tell my friends that, you know, <laughs> when, when it, when like Tom Petty comes on MTV, I'm not like, Fuck you! I'm like, dude, this is fucking great. You know, I'm not gonna go wear a Tom Petty shirt at the fucking show this weekend. But like, you realize, like, I- intuitively, you're like, I bet a lot of other people feel this way too. Yeah. And then you start meeting people, and you're like, I met when I met Joey. He was a couple years older. So like I said, it's like you, you, you know, when you meet some older kid that, that's kind of like the cool kid, you're like, oh man. And then he's like, dude, I fucking never listen to punk. I listen to fucking. James Taylor and fucking Tom Waits. And you're like, whoa, really? That's cool. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh, it kind of gives you permission. Yeah. To like, And you're like, that seems, I kind of like the way that sounds. I like the way somebody who's playing like heavy, abrasive music to learn that. And then you, you know, another great example when I was growing up was Metallica. You would see Metallica and they were, they were considered a heavy metal band, but then you'd see them and like their bass player would be wearing like a a Misfits shirt and right. their singer would be wearing a GBH shirt. And that kind of that was like a lifeline for us. Like honestly, because yeah. we thought, well, we're allowed to like metal, but since we don't have mohawks like those kids, we're not allowed to like punk rock. I remember like in eighth grade just going over to the kid in my classroom who had like a black flag shirt on, and I was like, dude, can you make me a mixtape? <laughs> you know, and he's like, <laughs> Really? And I was like, Yeah, and he's like, I'm like what's good and he's like dude you got to check out fucking Suicidal Tendencies you got to check out the Misfits you got to check out this that and then and I started listening to it and I was like this is pretty rad and then go back to me and my friend playing in our neighborhood band failing at trying to learn these fancy songs
1: yeah.
0: and then before you know it we're like we hear like like DRI dealing with it and that first suicidal record and we're like dude, we can actually make up songs that sound like this and they actually sound similar to it because those bands are really raw and unrefined and yep. you know and i mean those are great songwriters too you know I mean, the songwriting is another thing that's just the je ne sais quoi but like i mean you listen to dri it's like yeah that's fast music that any kid who's been playing guitar for two days can play but i dare you to write a fucking song like that you know what i mean even those are really good songs um but really that's what we did we started making up those songs and it was just like it wasn't like yay we got we we can do this now professionally it was just like fun it was like hey this is way more fun and way less frustrating and it it's something we did so then our other friend would come over and like i'd be like dude watch my finger when i'm playing like two two note bar chord or not even bar chords they were like power chords whatever you want to call it i was like just watch this finger and follow along on this other instrument got a bass in his hands and he just like instantly f- picked it up because he's just that guy who picks shit up quickly and that was derek Plord. Oh, crazy. Yeah.
1: Just a kid in our neighborhood,
0: you know? And then because he's that kid who picks shit up quickly, he'd be like, hey, show me how to do that thing on your guitar. Right. And then he'd be like, we'd go outside to do like curb tricks, take a break from practice. And we'd hear Derek get on the drum kit and just be like, and a week later it was like, and then like a month later it was like, and he was off to the races and we're like, Okay, this guy's a fucking like genius. Like he literally everything he touches, he gets really good at. Unfortunately, the same thing. You know, when he touched drugs, he got really good at that too. But like, I mean, he was like literally that kid. He was so bright and so capable that you could just show him like the. You know, you just show him like, all right, here's the first basics of something. And like, I mean, if you would have taught him how to fucking fry an egg, a month later he would have been like a fucking michelin star chef (laughs) he's just that guy he's just that fucking guy he's so smart and so fucking um like had such incredible drive and self-discipline um and so he got so good at drums that this is this is like there was that weird summer where we were like well how do we how do we gently tell dave that we kind of want derek to play drums instead of him and it's just we kind of just did this idea where we're like, well, why don't we just all switch instruments? Wouldn't that be fun? And so <laughs> our friend Banks, who was our singer at the time, um, he lived, across, like, uh, you know, he lived across town, so it was really cumbersome, and he didn't have a car yet. You know, we weren't old enough to drive, so it was really cumbersome to like have his mom drive him to practice or take a bus or all that shit. So eventually, we were like, well, Banks started like joined some other band across town, and so the three of us were like, why don't we just switch instruments? Derek will play drums. I'll switch from guitar to bass, and Dave will switch from drums to vocals. Like, you don't have to be behind the drum set. You yeah. can be the lead singer now. You yeah. know, he was kind of like, when you're a kid, no one wants to sing. That's like playing goalie. For sure. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to be the singer because it's kind of embarrassing. You're like, I don't want to fucking sing. Like, you know, um, but we did that. And then we had this opportunity to get these two other guitar players. I think, I don't know how we met them. I don't even remember how we met them. I think. De- Derek maybe, oh, Derek was really good friends with the guys in Threatened Hope. And th- uh, they were sort of, I don't know if they were breaking up or if they were sort of breaking down or whatever it was, but like Derek became really good friends with the tall guy Flip with Chris Flippin yep. in Lagwagon. And so he got Chris to play guitar. And then this guy, if you remember our singer Banks from Illiterate, he eventually moved you know to a band in, from his high school downtown. And they were called VFH, Vatos from Hell. And their guitar player was this guy named Darren Yardley. And somehow we got, I don't know if Banks told them about us, but somehow we got Darren. And the only reason we could get Darren and Chris was because they were old enough to have cars. Yeah. So like, because they didn't (laughs) live near us. They didn't live in our neighborhood. The three of us lived like we could like, you know, skateboard to each other's house and like have sleepovers and, you know, jump in Dave's pool. I mean, we literally were children in the same neighborhood. So it was all just happenstance. None of this shit was like, Put an ad in a paper. Try to form a band. It was just like, dude, I know these two guys that can play guitar, and we just thought like, okay, we'll be the kids that sort of suck, and we'll get these two like guys that are a couple years older than us playing guitar, and they'll like show us how to be a real band, so we can yeah. kind of move up a rung on this ladder here. And we started this band, and with Dave singing, with me on bass, with um, Derek on drums, and Chris Flippin on guitar, and Darren on guitar, and that band we called Section Eight. Yeah. Okay. So I'm jumping around a lot here, but somebody out there is going to be like, no way, all this shit's connected. Oh, no, this and is great.
1: Be- and yeah, and I, I, as we started talking a little bit earlier, I hit record, I didn't even introduce you yet or anything like that. Oh, um, it doesn't
0: matter. I'm just some guy named Marco who fucking talks too much. But anyway, <laughs> put all that shit in the fucking intro.
1: Well, um, yeah, we'll get to that later, yeah.
0: Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> great. but yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Hopefully we can get, we'll get to that. But I think this is an important thing because otherwise people are like, I don't get it. Why, what does he have to do with fucking Joey Cape or Bad Astronaut or why, you know, or I thought Sugar Call was just some fucking band that played at Hot Topic with Good Charlotte. I want you to know that there's fucking roots. And that's the, the, to me, the fun part of anyone's career is the roots. The other stuff is like, you know, once you get, what, the hardest part of a um, flight is the takeoffs and the landings, right? Mm And, and once it's in flight, it just fucking, you know, the hoodies fucking print themselves, the shows book themselves, <laughs> the fucking sound checks, sound check themselves. That's not the interesting part of, of a musician's journey. It's it, the, the fucking early part, and then how what happens later, you know, I'll let you know <laughs> that when I get there, I'm still working right. on that right now. But what happened before the takeoff was, was all this, just these kids in this town, Santa Barbara, doing the shit, because we had this one band maybe that provided us some kind of like proof of concept, and yeah. that was RKL. There was one other band too, to be fair, called Toad the Wet Sprocket.
1: Oh yeah, I know Toad and, the Wet Sprocket.
0: They were like, they made it, eventually made it, and they're like more of like a mainstream sort of adult contemporary sound, like, yeah. but yeah. I will say, and not a lot of people will, will really, I actually have a flyer, I wish I could dig it up, with no effects and Toad the Wet Sprocket oh, on crazy. it. Crazy. They were a punk band, believe it or not. Really? Just because when we were kids, there wasn't this like, punk didn't really mean a sound. Punk just meant you were too young to play in bars and you played music that was derived from underground shit, right? And, um, whereas like our bands were listening to like suicidal and, um, like I said, DRI and and stuff like that. Like, no, um, no effects was really into RKL. So that's, you know. Um, But one of the things that, I don't know, I don't remember who RKL were into. I never really asked them. I mean, they were definitely derived from like angry Samoans and stuff like that, like really in minor threat, but like um, Toad the Wet Sprocket were all about the Smiths and um, early like R.E.M. And if you, you know, we think of R.E.M. now as like some mainstream band. But back in the 80s, R.E.M. was like, you know, it was a very underground thing. Like. they called it college rock there was like the replacements and rem and all these bands they would just there were the bands that ended up inspiring like maybe nirvana yeah but like um if you do the cultural anthropology which i'm obsessed with i'm just i'm such a fucking music nerd but like you know toad the west sprocket would be playing shows and you'd be like oh yeah what's up with these guys they sound all jangly be like oh they're into the smiths and um and rem and you'd be like alright cool like that's the band you're gonna like catch your breath while they're playing because the other bands are gonna be like furious fucking circle pits yeah but their singer was like 15 he was like a couple years older than I, I mean he, you know he was he was a pretty young kid and he was at every punk show you know it's just that he was like the sort of more like pensive kind of poet like yeah. if if it would have been 10 years later toe the wet sprocket would have been in. They would have been considered an emo band, like a 90s, right. They would have been like Mineral or fucking, um, you know, Jets to Brazil right. or something like that. It's just a matter of like time and marketing and production. But if you, you could take some of those early Toad songs and put them in the studio with fucking the guy from Jawbox producing, and they would have ended up sounding like Jets to Brazil. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's weird. It's weird to think because you think of you people listening to this, if there's anyone listening to this, they're probably like, total Westbrook, fucking walk on the ocean. What are you talking about? Yeah. One degree of separation from. That's crazy. Blake Schwartz and, Bach and the weaker lands. you know, <laughs> and sunny day real estate or whatever. So, um, anyway, so they were the band that did some shit. RKL was the band that did some shit. And then there was a lot of other bands like that were sort of like just regionally kind of made us feel like, oh shit, there's like shit that can happen to a band. There's a band Rat Pack that was like friends with RKL and they did a lot of stuff. Um, and then of course, no effects who, you know, we sort of adopted as a Santa Barbara band, even though they were technically from LA, like watching them start to get like kind of things happening. Just, this is, it was a really interesting time, but we were so young that we couldn't really like comprehend it. We just kind of took it for granted. It's like every weekend was like, A new fucking era like oh that was last weekend this weekend this is the new band this is the new you know girl everyone's got a crush on and this is the new place to play it was really weird but um anyway we started that band section 8 that grew out of our original band illiterate and then section 8 because I remember there was another band in town that was kind of like I guess you would call it crossover where there was this like weird like cross-pollination of speed metal and hardcore punk and so they called it crossover probably cause DRI's record was called crossover. I'm not talking about DRI so much. <laughs> um, and like bands that sort of like, they didn't have long hair, like anthrax and Slayer or Metallica, but they still played pretty metal songs, but they looked more like punk bands. I don't know. There was a period where punk and m- speed metal really kind of like, you know, had a nice role in the hay. Coolest, yeah like late 80s, we're talking about there was that moment where like, I mean, punk bands became, grew their hair out and sort of became metal bands. And a lot of metal bands cut their hair shorter and became punk. There was a weird, like happy medium that in my opinion was the uncredited, um, writing on the wall that begat grunge. Yeah. Right. if you, if you go back and do the math, you're like, wait, how did bands like Soundgarden and Nirvana and all those bands pop up? They're like, you know, like Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jams, like a fucking yeah. huge punk rocker. And yeah. it's like, how did they, what gave them the courage to do that? Well, probably once they started seeing like this sort of like Bloods and Crips truce between yeah. speed metal and punk rock, <laughs> and they realized, well, both pe- people come to our shows, both like to run around in circles and do stage dives. We both have the fucking same amps. Yeah, Your tone is a little bit more this, my tone's a little more, th- there was some kind of, there was, I, I remember seeing it cause I was a kid right there watching it happen. And like, you know, there was a band called chemical that was basically our town's version of that. And that was Joey Cape's band. It's called chemical. And he played guitar and sang. and there was a drummer and a bass player and they sounded, you know, they were very much like sort of speed metal, hardcore punk. And then we were section eight, and we would play shows together. And then Joey because Joey was like the guy who had a four track. Yeah, he was, you know, a recording engineer and a producer, he came over to our rehearsal space and recorded us on a four track. Unfortunately, I don't even have that tape anymore. Fuck, you know? But that yeah, was no basically kidding. the Section 8 demo, but because we started hanging out with Joey and them, again, like I said, Joey broke up with his girlfriend, Dave started dating her, and then there was like that I then eventually I moved away to go to LA cuz I was actually playing in another band and they had moved to LA a year before. Back then you were always in like 3 or 4 bands. Right. And I was playing in another band that that I kind of liked better. And I moved to L.A. to go to college. I just kind of wanted to get out of Santa Barbara. So the band just sort of faded away. I moved away. And then like a month later, Dave got kind of like, I don't know if he got kicked out or just sort of pushed out. But basically, Joey moved in (laughs) and said, guess what? I'm your new singer. Yeah. And so Joey sort of like, I mean, I, I don't say this in a negative way, but he's sort of like, Hijacked (laughs) somewhere between. He sort of hijacked the band, but he also sort of salvaged the band because this band was like scrappy. And then Joey came in, and like I said, he was a little bit more experienced, a little little couple years older. And he was like, "Dude, here's him, and a much more sophisticated songwriter." Because we were just like driving by Braille, figuring out as we went along. And he came in, and he had like song structure, and like took some of our old shitty songs and like gave them a little bit, you know, spruced them up a bit took a bunch of his ideas. And so he basically took over that band. He, t- he basically took over Section 8. And and uh, then once they got signed to Fat Records, they did a name search and found out there was already a band called Section 8. So they changed it like last minute, right before Duh was pressed up, they changed it to Lagwagon. Yeah. And that's Lagwagon. So crazy. I get to sort of have a little bit of claim in the roots of Lagwagon, even though I was never actually in it at the same time <laughs> as Joey. The only person in Lagwagon who's an original member, if you count that pre-Joey era, technically the only through, like the only constant who's been there from day one is Chris Flippin, is the yeah. big bitch, yeah, the tall crazy. guy.
1: That's so crazy, what an amazing story.
0: It's crazy, it's fucking yeah. weird, you know? And, and also obviously. Like, fuck, life goes by fast, like, shit feels like it was like another lifetime ago, and simultaneously, it feels like it was like three years ago. And yeah. it's so weird how fast shit just zooms by and just happens, you
1: know? Well, and it's so funny to hear it like as a fan and kind of retrospect, like I, you know, when I used to look at old lag wagon records or whatever and do what every kid does who's into punk rock, like try and find, you know, the connections between the different bands. You're looking through the thank yous and oh yeah, who, who produced it and who are the roadies and, you know, whatever. Um, you know, when I see names come up and kind of try and draw that connection, but, like you've just really explained it for me here but you've also stayed in touch with joey and all those guys over the years still and continue to work with them and stuff so
0: and we all stayed friends i mean all through the years we've all been friends we're just drinking together one night we're like dude don't you miss when playing in a band was just about like getting a 12 pack and sitting in a room with your friends and fucking jamming without any thought of like what we, what our identity is, what we sound like, what we're going for, what we, when, when our records do, when our tours, you know, when it's just like, don't you just miss just doing it just cause? Like, yeah. <laughs> just because, you know? And so that was Bad Astronaut. We were like, yeah, we should do it, man, fuck it. Let's, uh, my friend has a place we can rehearse, let's go and let's play some, you know, we started off with Joey, some Joey had some songs that, that he didn't think were right for Lagwagon, And I had some ideas and Derek had some ideas and we just started fucking around and because we had this kind of like attitude where we, we kind of wanted to protect bad astronaut from becoming as, as organized and professional as our right. other bands. So we we're like, let's not make t-shirts now. Of course we, <laughs> you're wearing a bad astronaut t-shirt one. So. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, let's not play shows. Let's not even fucking play shows. Cause a, we're too busy with our other shit to add more, you know, into the equation let's just do this as a fun thing. And then let's record like whenever we get a chance to come up for for air with our other projects. And that's exactly what we did. We just started like recording and we were recording in a studio that was called Orange Whip. It was owned by a guy named Angus Cook who also plays electric cello. Right. And so the attitude was like, dude, do you wanna play cello in our fucking record? And then before you knew it, we're like, well, you're in the band, okay. You know, okay, anyone who walks into this fucking door and wants to play on this record gets to be in the band now. And then another guy who was at the studio was this guy, Tom flowers, this incredible fucking guitar player from Santa Barbara and songwriter and engineer and producer. And we were just like, dude, Tom should lay down some some little guitar things. And next thing you know, it's like, okay, Tom's in the band too. And then another guy was like, um, uh, we brought in to play some keyboards who Joey had grown up with this guy named Todd Capps. And again, it's all just like, there was never a time where we put an ad in the paper saying, you know, looking for musicians that are into this kind of, it was just like, and we, I mean, there's people in Badass Astronaut that are like 10 years, I, I think I'm like 10 years younger than Angus, you know? Right. And I don't think Angus probably ever went to a punk show in his life. I don't even think he knows. And if you, you know, so it wasn't like, it was just a bunch of people that had the same, the only thing we had in common was that we that we liked each other. And that we, and like, we, maybe that we liked to have a couple beers and that the 12 notes in a fucking, you know what I mean? A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, and the fucking, you know, sharps in between. That was pretty much the only thing we had in common. And it was just like, you know, it's, that's how you end up with something. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's a, it's amazing to be humble opinion. Bad astronaut sounds kind of fucking unique. And that's because it's a bunch of different people coming from different places, hearing music differently with different record collections, kind of creating this like amalgamation of weirdness that sort of fucking works.
1: Yeah. Acrophobe is for sure in, you know, my top records of all time, like it's just amazing. I remember when I came out hearing it and just being like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is amazing. And you could just feel that it's a a conversation. We've talked about a couple of times here, like about that authenticity, just like you could feel that it came from somewhere completely authentic. And yeah, it sucks to not have a a band touring that you can go see necessarily. And I know you guys did play some shows here and there. Yeah.
0: Um, We done done like, we did a weird run of shows in Australia. Um, We did, uh, we waited until, 10 years went by before we ever played our first show. We had right. 10 years from when Acrophobe came out, we played our first, after Derek died unfortunately, um, we started like, we were in the middle of making a, a another record when Derek died. Um, for people who don't know, Derek died in March of 2005 and we were in the midst of making our record, um, uh, the third record. Um,
1: 12, 12 small steps.
0: 12 small steps in one giant disappointment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, which is really a weird record because it was like unfinished, you know? So you have Derek like on these things and and, and we couldn't even go there. Like, honestly, like there was a time where me and Joey like went in the studio and like turned up and fired up and like you hear like the talk back mics from the tracks. And you know how like if you've ever made a record, you like, yeah. you know, you're like, all right, do you play that one again? And then you hear like Derek's voice just all, okay, dude, so you want me to do that fill again right there? Okay, and then just all of his like quips. Like if you listen to the end of Acrophobia, yes. you, you get an idea of the kind of guy Derek was. This constantly just witty little quips and like, you know, just sort of like ribbing everybody in the room. Like whatever, fuck face. Okay, I'll do it again. You know, just he was that guy that could like lighten the mood because he just like, would just say that kind of shit. Anyway, hearing that stuff was just like too eerie. It was cause like, it was too, the. It was too fresh from when he died. It was like so tragic how he died, and 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 basically he died in slow motion. We, you know, anyone who was in his life, like watched this guy like this. Like I said, from when we were kids, he was like the guy who could do everything. You know, he could skate better than everybody else. He could fucking build a house. He could. He could do. He was like this prodigy person and such a sweetheart of a dude. Like such a fun guy. Like he, Mm -hmm. he was, you know. Um He wasn't like this dark, morbid sort of somber guy. he was like this fucking hilarious, snappy dude uh, who was super intelligent and just so like in love with life and learning. He just wanted to know about everything and you know loved music so much but anyway, so it was really sad to watch this guy kind of die in slow motion for years and years and years with struggling with a drug addiction and then and depression and all this stuff and then eventually unfortunately he um you know he he just couldn't pull it but um. Uh, so it was really weird to try to make that record because we thought like, God, it just felt felt weird. It felt like we were like, like
1: forcing it or something or like
0: even worse than that, man, it, it honestly, it sounds melodramatic, but it, it sort of felt like we were like, like fucking robbing a grave or something. It just felt uh-huh. so weird. Like it, it felt like weird. It was like, I don't know, is it? And then eventually I think I can't remember there was maybe me and Joey were maybe talking on the phone or something and it was just like, Dude, in a weird way, like we almost like have to finish this record, not just for our own sake and closure, but also for Derek. Like this is kind of his like, you know, like he'd be kind of bummed if we just were like too scared to make this record because we don't deal with the discomfort of like listening to his voice and hearing his drums. And and also like there's a part of you that's like, "Mm, I feel a little bit like. You know, there's parts of like we had some other drummer come in and play a little bit of stuff because there was some stuff that was unfinished. Joey, Joey, that records really like speaks to Joey's um, abilities as a producer. He was able to like really like kind of grab pieces of Derek's drums and add them to other things. And it's it's really like a patchwork quilt of, of music. Um, the song, I think this, one of the songs on the record, a lot of the lyrics weren't finished yet. So we were able to like go get Derek's journals from like his girlfriend or whatever, and like use some of his little like journaling entries as song concepts. And I think we even used one of his lyrics for a song. Um, was there a song called like auto repair or something like that? I can't remember even what we ended up calling yeah, it. Yeah.
1: It's a- auto, um, it's not auto repair. It's called, no, it's called, oh my God. I should
0: fucking know the name of the song on records. I've been auto on, I don't Auto care. Auto care. Auto care. Duh. That's what yeah was one of those, yeah. You end up calling it like five different things, and you don't remember what you actually put put it on the record. But anyway, um, so um, yeah, that was like his lyrics, and just just like a lot of things like that. So it was it was a trip to make that record. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it, Bad Astronaut was just kind of like after we finished that, we were like, okay, well we we can close the book on Bad Astronaut because we can't do Bad Astronaut without Derek Plored, and why would we? And because that was the whole point was for us to all do this together. And we're not like a band anyway. We're not like playing shows, so what? And then eventually we we're like, why aren't we playing shows again? Like it was just one of those things. We we're like, who said we're not playing shows? Well, we said that. Okay, well, if we're the ones who made that rule, then we can fucking break it. Yeah. You know? Because like, what? What? You know? Who, no one even. Why are we being so self-important? Like, what are we trying to prove? Joey wasn't doing that much shit with Lagwagon. I had a little bit of time off from Sugar Cult, and we were just like. Why not? Let's just do this and let's let's go like take these songs out for a spin and play them live just because we've never really tried and we went and did it we had a lot of fun and then we did it again um, in Canada and we had a lot of fun and then this we got this crazy opportunity to go to Australia for this weird yeah. like festival tour with black flag of all you know <laughs> of all bands which um, and um, we just did it. It was just like this will be an adventure and, and why not you know and I mean, the reason we don't do more shit is cause it's just really like, Joey's so busy with, with all the stuff he does with the solo stuff and lag wagon, and, right. you know, gimme gimme's up until recently. So it's like, you know, I dunno the, the you know, again, that who knows when I, I never, it's, it's not a matter of, uh, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, Yeah, am sure. We'll do it again. Some point, you know, while we're all still kicking. So why not? I
1: noticed on your, on your bio, it lists, um, uh, bad astronaut and playing favorites as uh, ongoing projects. So yeah, that gives you yeah. some hope as a listener.
0: I mean, that's how it, it's, dude, isn't isn't that the deal? Like, is it yeah. life just a fucking ongoing project? Yeah, I mean, we yeah. all wanna believe that there's these little like mile markers and, and structural things, but it's like, dude, who fucking knows? You know what I yeah. mean? Like, maybe we'll start in, maybe you and I'll start a band. Like, who knows what we're gonna do? You know, <laughs> we wanna believe that this is what it is. But I think part of being Artistic is allowing yourself to sort of like, um, I don't know, allowing yourself the, the permission to, you know, to color outside the guide, the, the self, the self-made guidelines that yeah. you make too. You know, I love uh, Picasso, the old artist Picasso, he said, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist. And right. I think that's, that's, that's important to cool, yeah. remember that kind of shit, like to, you know, to, okay, so there's some structures, there's a basic way people do shit. Okay, that's cool. Now what, you know, now, now how can we do it a little bit differently? And, and I think bad astronauts, like having that in my life was such a good counter to sugar cult, which was much more like the, the, the mandate with sugar cult when we started out was like, we, we don't, we're like, we definitely don't want to be a punk band because we've all played in punk bands before. And that's not exciting anymore. I've already done that. Like it's fun I love punk rock, but like, it's not, it's, I want to do something like I was getting really into like digging through used record stores and finding like power pop records, you know? Like I've always loved like Cheap Trick and I've always loved um, Elvis Costello and stuff like that. Like the early records from Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe and, and all that shit. It was like, God, this is such a cool style of music that I feel like other than like What I Like About You by The Romantics and maybe My Sharona by The Knack, and obviously Cheap Trick, like, I don't think anyone ever really, I don't think this, this vibe ever really like reached its potential. So it was like, how do you, how do you celebrate this kind of cool vibe, but, um, but at the same time, not like be like a fucking cringy civil war reenactor, you know, like when you see those bands that are like, so fucking note perfect, like retro, yep. or yep. like, their guitars are retro, their outfits are retro, their sound is retro, their subject matter is retro. And you're like, dude, you exist in the fucking 21st century. Yeah. Stop yeah. trying to pretend like it's still 1972. Yeah. You know, although shit from 1972 is cool as fuck and it's great. Like, again, use your influences. Don't be your influences. Yeah. yeah. Right. Otherwise, it does become this like embarrassing, like Civil War reenactment, fucking Renaissance fair kind of shit. Right. And like, so we were thinking like that with Sugar We were like, we, you know, we love like the Foo Fighters and Nirvana and all the shit. There was a lot of good shit in the 90s um, that was like rock music coming from people that grew up on punk. And we're like, what if we could like do a band that was that kind of a vibe, but also like with, you know, stealing liberally from like the cars and fucking, you know, um, Elvis Costello and Cheap yeah. music. And and so basically that was what we were going for. And like, you know, whenever you start out to go for something, you usually miss it and fail miserably. And so that's his life. You know, it's, it's like you flunk upwards. And so we were we were going for that. And then we were like, well, this is kind of boring. The songs are too slow, let's make them faster. And then it was like, well, this, your guitar sounds too jangly. Let's make it more crunchy. Okay, um, we, they're only giving us a 20 minute set. We want to play as many songs as possible. So let's make them shorter and make them faster. And so we sort of by default kind of like well, when I used to be in this punk punk band, we used to do this, and yeah. so we, we, we I guess like we kind of reinvented the wheel and arrived at what people call pop punk. Right? You know, it was like, oh shit! I guess I guess we're fucking poppy. We write pop songs, but we play them with punk energy. So I guess that, I guess they call it pop. One of the records we loved in Sugar Cult when we first um, put our when like early on was um, Jimmy World Bleed American. Oh. I just thought that was oh, such awesome. a great like to me that band did exactly what we were setting out to try to do. I was like, this is what I mean. You yeah. know, when I heard that record, I was like, this is what we meant. And so that was like our fucking, that record was, was, was a big one. But another record I always loved was, um, Refused Shape of Punk oh, to Come. Oh yeah. And that record to me had that spirit of like, there was two things about Refused, Shape of Punk to Come that I thought were like, for as far as Bad Astronaut goes, it was, I feel like it was kind of a coming from a similar place of being like. Okay, we have punk and hardcore, like up and metal upbringing, but we're not going to limit ourselves to that. We're not going to deny that like electronic music exists and jazz exists and all this other cool shit exists, and try to wrap you know like liberate from the typical ex- expectations of what someone is supposed to sound right. like in the scene. And so, I mean, I'm not saying Bad Astronaut is anywhere near as fucking important as Refused, but like. That record was cool, and then for as far as Bad Astronaut on a musical sort of thought process, as far as Sugar Cult, I thought I always thought their style was really cool. I was like, it's such a shame that in order to be credible and authentic, you need to look like you don't you don't fucking care about what you're wearing. Yeah. And then I saw the way they looked, and they were like dark oh, yeah. hair with like Beatles haircuts and fucking suits. You know, that and Swedish like, yeah
1: thing that just was just something going kind of
0: European and cool yeah. about it. Yeah. And I've just always, I, that's where I maybe differ a lot from a lot of the people I grew up with in Santa Barbara. I've always thought like having style is really cool. And like, it's not like a bad thing if you don't look like you just fucking woke up and jumped on stage. Like, I don't think I've, I don't think since I was like fucking 20 years old, I don't think I ever p- played a show in a pair of shorts. Cause to me, it's like, I, I love the, like, I, I just don't. Playing a show is not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be fucking a presentation, you know, for someone watching. And not not to say anybody else should like think like me, but that's just my personal thing. I always thought like I like when bands look cool, and so that was with Circle. We were just like we want to look cool as fuck. We want to play music that's um that's got like the spirit of like cool shit from the late seventies and early eighties, but is not like not limited to that, not as though nirvana never happened, not as though the fucking Jimmy World and the Foo Fighters aren't bands that we can, you know. So we were like, let's, let's, that was sort of the blueprint, not that you asked, but that was kind of like, <laughs> just to sort of break it down retro, retrospectively, I'm like, it's kind of what we were going for. And, and I feel like we, I feel like we, we achieved it to, to some degree, and then allowed it to sort of like become its own thing, which I think most most bands do eventually you start out trying to kind of keep your hands on the wheel and you know control it and then eventually you just kind
1: of, oh. all right that was part two of marco Desantis on the rad dad show thanks again to marco for joining us it was so much fun if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you drop us a review on itunes and if you're looking for more rad dads content find us wherever you get your podcasts or give us a follow on social media on Instagram, you can find us at @rad_dads_show, rad underscore dads underscore show and on Facebook and Twitter at, at raddadshow. And now you can also look us up on YouTube for some video interviews as well, including this one. Lastly, Rad Dads is first and foremost, a community organization aimed at positive parenting. And you can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime, and in between time, stay rad.